Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. As she makes her way across the town, she clutches the flask close to her chest. Underneath her her clothing, her hair is up. And as she heads towards the side of town, it's the town part where she's not supposed to go. She knows this. And so she is dusk outside, and so she quickly and quietly slides in the shadows to make her way to this house. And as she makes her way to the house, her heart starts to beat a little faster. Her heart starts to flutter a little bit, knowing she's not wanted. She shouldn't show up. And yet for her, she knows something inside her is telling her, you need to be there. She's heard the rumors. She's heard the stories about this man, this individual who speaks of hope, who speaks of forgiveness of this God in some ways that what she has experienced up to this point is not what this man preaches and teaches on. She's heard the rumors. She's heard the stories. And so as she quietly and quickly makes her way into the house, she makes her way through the front door. And it's not a house of normal size that we would associate with, but instead it's like a square. And as she walks into the front door, she's immediately in a courtyard area and she sees in the courtyard the table. And as she sees the table, the men are right around the table. They're laying down with their left hands down, their feet behind them, their right hand dipping the food, talking and engaging in conversation. And as she quietly sifts to the background of the crowd, all of the town is there. They're all crowded around hearing and listening to the conversation at hand. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to the book of Luke. If you have a smartphone, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app. It's a great app to read the scriptures. We're going to be in Luke 7, and we'll get back to the story in a moment. But we need to know context. And so if you turn to the book of Luke, Luke is the third book of the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And in Luke 7, the context is this. It starts in verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. And he's about to describe how people, how the religious leaders really view him. It says in verse 31, To what then should I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other, We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. So these religious leaders, they look at John the Baptist and they say, he has a demon because he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink like we do. Jesus says then in verse 34, the son of man, referring to himself, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus is pretty much claiming that they call him a drunkard and a glutton because he sits and he eats and he drinks with the people that you were not supposed to associate in that time frame. And so the stage is kind of set. The Pharisees, those were kind of like the pastors of their day, the religious rulers who had good intentions, but they didn't quite see how God sees things. They knew all about God, but they didn't really have God's heart or motives. And so the Pharisees have kind of written this Jesus off. It would have been about 31 to 32 AD at this point. And as Jesus is saying, this is how you view me, the Pharisees have written him off, but the locals the blue-collar average individual, they're enraptured by Jesus. He teaches differently. He teaches in a way that they understand him. 
and he's done miracles. And so there's this rumors and there's this groundswell of support for Jesus. And so it says in verse 36, where our story picks up, then one of the Pharisees invited him referring to Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And that's kind of our, our first point that Jesus was invited, but he wasn't really invited in a lot of ways. Because there's this situation that in the culture that we look at, in order to understand a greater degree of context, we have to look at the culture. It's not the 21st or from the 22nd century now. Of Roads were not like we understand them to be roads. They weren't paved. And it wasn't a metropolitan area that this is taking place. And no, it's in northern Israel. It's Jerusalem's about in the middle. And then north of that is where Galilee was. It's rural. It's countryside. A little bit like here where us in central New York. And what you see is that you didn't travel by car or by train or by bus. You got places by walking places. And guess what? Because it's rural and it's villages, these were paths. You know, you know when you walk in the summer... What does the path turn into if you're out in the forest or woods? It's, it's dirt. And as the summer wears on and the sun bakes it, it becomes hard dirt. But if you hit the dirt, clouds of dust pop, they come up. And what happens is you're in Israel, which I've been there. It's very hot in the summertime. And, and you wouldn't have had tennis shoes like you and I have tennis shoes. They would have had sandals, kind of like flip-flops in a sense, but open-toed. And what happens then when you're walking from village to village as you traverse the area is that your feet probably sweat. If you're a normal human, your feet sweat. Well, if it's summer, you have sandals, the roads are dirt, and it's hot, and you're walking, your feet start to sweat, which means there's water droplets on them. And as you hit the dirt, the clouds of dust pop up. What's happening to your feet? They're getting covered in dirt. So as you walk everywhere, your feet are starting to get some dirt. Well, guess what else? As they would walk from village to village and area to area, where did the animals walk? If you maybe had a donkey for transportation, maybe a horse, if you were lucky, there was probably carts. Guess where the animals did their business? Right on the road. So as you walk from village to village, you would walk on the dirt roads that the animals traversed, that their droppings were on, that your feet would get caked in this dust mix and it would hit your feet. And mind you, I'm from Pittsburgh originally. My wife is from this area. And in Pittsburgh, we call it a crick. You may call it a creek, but it is known as a crick. And a crick is that stream of water. And in the summers, I would love, as a, as a teen growing up, you would run hard and play hard. You would work hard. Your feet would get tired and sweaty and smelly. But you would get your feet at the end of a hot summer day and stick them in the crick, and it was like refreshing coolness. It was like, ah, oh, I can take a deep breath. The day is almost at its end, and I'm refreshed. When I was a youth pastor for a time, I took kids to a place called Creation. Creation is this awesome music festival in the middle of central PA. And it's like the who's who of Christian bands come and play. You have Skillet, you have David Crowder, you have Passion Band, all these awesome bands. And I would take about 20 to 30 teens with me. And part of the packing gear was that you had to have a, a rag or an old towel that you were going to leave there, throw away. And there was a reason for it. And I didn't understand it the first year, but I definitely understood it by year two when I took the teens and I had taken this pack list from another church. And, and what happens is that in creation, there's a giant stadium kind of, there. you're in the middle of a field, farm field. So it's summer, it's Pennsylvania, it's hot. And you have 70 to 80,000 people, those that know Christ, those that don't, adults, teens, all in between. And so at the main stage, it would kind of go up at its angle. And at the front of the stage, they would have this pit, they call it. And, and the pit would have this gravel over top of it. And why would they do that? Because as you sat in the field all week long, as you were dancing and singing to your, your favorite Christian artist, or when the speakers came on, you were 
doing a lot of jumping up and down for the skillet for David Crowder. You were singing. And at the front of the stage were those rocks where they would get pounded into the ground. And so I was up on the hill once and I was watching in the midday the stadium and there was a band playing and the kids were dancing and singing and jumping up and down. And all of a sudden I saw this like dust cloud start to come up. And I'm like, oh, that's why they put the rocks there to kind of limit the, the dust. And then I was in the pit for a time and I was with my teens and we're dancing, we're singing to our favorite songs. And then after a long day of this, I'm in flip-flops because it's summer. So I'm jumping up and down with skillet. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And the speakers. And then I can feel the sweat going down into my feet, dripping off me. And, and that dust cloud, I can feel like I'm eating dirt because the dust is all around me. I go back to camp at the end of the night and my feet are just caked in mud, just black with mud. And I'm like, oh, that's why we bring the towel or the rag to wash our feet off at night. Because you might not make it to the showers, but you definitely wanted to wipe your feet off. And that's the kind of culture here that as Jesus is invited to go to the Pharisee's house to eat, he's traversing on hard dirt. His feet are probably sweaty. His feet are probably caked in mud now because of the sweat. And what does it say is that then one of the Pharisees invited him. He entered and he reclined at the table. Context is key yet again. Culturally, it was a shame and honor society. Hospitality was of utmost importance which means if you're a VIP like Jesus really would have been because his name would have been known. He doesn't live in this town, but he's been invited to the town. So as he brought in, hospitality dictated three things. When a visitor came in, if you had the money, the wealth, then you would provide a bowl of water for your guest so that when they came in the house from the hot travels, they could wipe their feet off. That after they wiped their feet off, then you would give them a kiss or greeting, kind of like the French dude, you go... And just to say, I see you, I'm so glad you're here. And then they would do, I don't know why, but they'd get some olive oil and put it and run it through their hair. Just a dab. And then you'd sit down and be refreshed and get ready for dinner. And what do we see here is that then one of the Pharisees invited him, Jesus, to eat. He entered the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. There was none of this. It was that whole first point that I mentioned, the shame and honor, hospitality being so big. And the fact is Jesus was invited, but he really wasn't invited to dinner. The Pharisee was curious about him, but really didn't care much about who Jesus was. It was a snub. Short and sweet, it was a snub. And so this dinner scene that takes place is, as I mentioned earlier in this opening remarks, the story is that as you came into the house, it would have been in a courtyard. You walk through the front door and then you're in an open area and, and it would have been the who's who of the town. So you would have had a table set, not like we set a table. We have a plate and a fork and a knife and we sit. No, at this table, you would have came in. It would have been small, low to the ground. There would have been pillows maybe or couches around. And you would have leaned in with your left arm and you would have leaned on this and laid out with your feet behind you. And you would have had your right hand ready to dip in the food and share in the food so that you're all facing each other in the conversation in a rectangle. And everybody else would have been around you. Kent Hughes writes it this way. He says, in that day, the homes of the well-to-do people were built around the central courtyard in which formal meals were served. The guest reclined on the left elbow on low-lying couches, eating with the right hand. One's feet would extend away from the table in keeping with the belief that the feet were unclean and offensive by nature. At such occasions, the doors of the homes were kept open and the uninvited townspeople were free to wander in to observe the conversation. Typically, there was a great deal of coming and going by the onlookers. So a normal formal dinner by this Pharisee would have had some of the townspeople saying, okay, we're going to check out what the high-to-do, high-class look like. 
It would have been, if you're invited, you can come sit at the table. If you're uninvited, you can watch us eat. You can engage in conversation, but don't interrupt the conversation at the table. But you can listen in. You can hear what we're doing and what we're discussing, us high and mighty. And it's in this context that Jesus is invited to come in. And he's invited as a VIP to the table. And Jesus is not just some normal nobody. He's the talk of the town. He's not from this town. He's from a different town. But he's been doing miracles. His name has been known out and around the community. And now all of a sudden he's in this town. You better believe everybody is at this house. And the Pharisee, this well-to-do, would have had the ability to wash Jesus' feet with a servant. Instead, everyone would have seen Jesus get snubbed coming in. That Jesus, you're really not worth this person's time is what that would have communicated. And there in the background is our woman who has quietly snuck in. She doesn't belong. She's not invited. You, we've all been there, right? We've been at a dinner or we've been to a party or a wedding where there's maybe some of the family members there. Maybe you're not the one hosting it, but you're invited. You know there's drama in the family or drama with whoever's hosting it. And the person they have issues with or drama was not invited, should not show up. But then they show up and you're like, oh, oh, this is going to get a little dicey. This is going to get a little maybe heated. And you're like, this is awkward. And that's what's going to happen next. Read in verse 37, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Can we, can we just pause for just a moment? The amount of courage it would have taken for this woman to cross the, that side of the street to get to that house is huge. Everybody knows this woman. It says it in the Bible. She was a sinner, meaning everybody in this town knew who she was, knew her reputation. I'm not from a small town. I'm from Pittsburgh area in uh, Southwest P Pennsylvania. My wife is from East Homer here. So I found out what a small town was when I moved here in 2010 and everyone's connected to everyone. And when I got married to my wife, the people come up to me in the supermarket or in areas and say, oh, we're related. Oh, we're this. And I'm like, how? They're like, well, you're, I'm your wife's uncle. Oh, I'm your wife's cousin. Oh, I'm your wife's. I'm like, everyone's connected to everybody. And everybody I found out in central New York has really long memories. They remember everything. So you have to be careful what you say and what you do. They remember for long periods because it's a small town. And everyone knows everybody. And in this town, everybody knew this woman. They talked about her, but never to her. They ostracized her. They pushed her out. You did not want to be associated with this woman. I don't know what she did or what it is, but you can imagine her anxiety must have been through the roof, that her heartbeat must have been pounding as she walked through those doors quietly. I have to imagine that as she walked through the Pharisee's door, though she was not invited but could participate, was quietly in the background she would have seen Jesus getting snubbed. She would have noticed the decorum of the Pharisee of as Jesus came in, he did no traditional greeting. But we have to imagine that at some point she heard about this Jesus. She heard about him because it says he associates in that first context with those who he shouldn't associate with. At some point she heard about the hope. And she's got to be thinking, this, this Jesus talks differently than everybody else. He says things differently than all the other religious rulers. He associates with people like me, a sinner, whose shame is well known, whose guilt is well known. She probably doubted herself. Do I go? Should I show up? And something in her probably saying, you got to get there. You just got to go. And she can just picture the woman, the flask clasped tightly to her chest, 
her hair tied up, probably staying to the shadows, as she quietly makes her way as quick as she can into the house, quietly sneaks into the background, sees Jesus gets snubbed, and in verse 37, we get introduced to this woman of the town who was a sinner, which probably means she might have been a prostitute. We don't know. She was notorious. All we know is she was guilty, that she was a sinner, that she had a reputation that was the wrong kind of reputation. And she's the type when she shows up, you probably get a little, she shouldn't be here, look. And as the story continues in verse 38, and she stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. You see this whole point, this is such a beautiful story at this point, it's so unique, because what happens is this, you can just picture the scene, Jesus is sitting with his left arm, he's eating, he's engaging with this conversation with the Pharisee. And the, the who's who of the town that's been invited to sit at this table. Man, it was only the creme de la creme who sat at that table, who leaned on that table, who had the conversation. And you've been to those concerts or those conferences or those meetings where, you know, you're maybe in the thick of the meeting or at the front of the, 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 the concert. And something's happening in the back of the audience that you can't quite see. You don't even really pay attention. You don't even notice it's happening. It's way at the back, but as they make their way forward, the crowd that's loud in the back starts to quiet down as, as something is moving forward, and you start to get distracted. Wait, wait, what's, what's coming? What's, what's over here? And that's kind of what I think is happening, is that this woman who's in the back sees Jesus get snubbed, that this hospitality is not there, that as a the conversation progresses, maybe she hears something of Jesus' teaching about God of who God is, that he loves people, that he's all for people and forgiveness, something breaks within her. And she quietly makes her way to the front. And you could just imagine the people who are engaged and listening to the conversation start to look and go, oh, do you, oh my goodness, oh my. And, and all of a sudden the crowd that's murmuring around starts to quiet down as this woman approaches Jesus. And you got to be thinking, okay, as she approaches Jesus, Jesus is looking like I'm looking at you at the camera. Jesus is there with Simon. If you're Simon, you're looking behind me. And it's like all of a sudden you see this woman and you know who she is instantly. And you start to probably get a scowl on your face like, how dare she? That woman? Are you? And you could probably just start to see it all over their face. And Jesus is just being Jesus. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 reads that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And Jesus, I got to say, He's probably, at this point, so gentle. Like, this is a, the imitation I get. But here, listen to it. Verse 38, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. A woman's hair was significant. I don't know why it is in this culture, but it so is. It signified worthiness. And, and by golly, you did not put your hair down in anywhere except the presence of your husband. It was scandalous to drop your hair in front of anybody but your husband. Some rabbis back from that date period said that if a woman did that in public, that a, a husband had the right to divorce her. I don't know why culturally we can't, it's hard to grasp that, I understand. But it was a scandalous situation for her to quietly sneak forward. Everyone knows who she is, what she's about. She's crying tears softly on his feet and she lets down her hair. Oh my goodness, you could probably hear a pin drop. Everyone's just, <gasps> and Simon, the Pharisee, is probably just glaring at her behind Jesus at what she is doing. And Jesus is just taking it all in. Jesus is being Jesus. 
he's a friend of sinners. He gets this. And what's more so is that she kissed his feet, which we already said are offensive by nature. So as she cries tears on his feet, his feet, which are grimy, which are muddy, going from village to village, walking through the dirt. You can picture that in your head. And her tears have made him wet. She takes her hair and she wipes the grime off. And then she begins to kiss his feet. And then it says she takes oil, the fragrant oil. She wiped his feet with her hair of her head, kissing them, anointing them with fragrant oil. You can hear the pin drop as she cries. As she wipes his feet away, she takes that flash, she opens it up, and she pours it on his feet and spreads it on. This is not the cheap stuff, guys. Eastern Hills, this is not the cheap fragrance. This is the most expensive stuff. And you can probably hear, again, everyone is quiet. Everyone is just in stoned, shock, silence. How could this woman, who's not supposed to be here, be here? What is she doing? Oh my good, do you see what she's doing? And as everyone's quiet, all of a sudden, the smell is not of food that has been prepared. It's this beautiful aroma of fragrance waffling up. And everyone's thinking, what is going to happen? You could cut the tension with a butter knife. There's two approaches that we see here in this situation. Two approaches to Jesus. We see from clearly on the screen, you, you can read that the Pharisee is proud. He's curious, but he's proud. And so he doesn't show any type of respect to Jesus. And then we see the woman here, the sinner who brings a humble and grateful attitude to Jesus. And I love verse 39. It says this, when the Pharisee who had invited him, invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Here's the thing. We've all had conversations in our head, right? You've, you've had inside conversations as you're in the market. Should I buy this? Should I not? What do I want for dinner tonight? It's all in your head. You're not speaking it. This is in the guy's head. The Pharisee is thinking this when he says, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching his feet. And I can't believe he's allowing this to happen. It's all in his head. And Jesus replies to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Jesus is the first to speak. He can read his mind. Jesus says, I, I, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so Simon, I collect myself of what I'm seeing here. And he says, all right. Teacher, he said, say it. And this is where Jesus pulls up that our greatest problem is our sin issue. It's not our house, it's not our marriages, it's our sin. And that's what Jesus is about to do. He's about to show Simon his greatest issue, biggest issue is his sin issue. He's gonna get to the heart problem. You read in the verse 41, he said, a creditor, Jesus says, has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? And we have to pause here for a minute because we can't maybe quite understand what is he saying. If you were to say 500 denarii, think of it as two years worth of pay. Two years of your pay total combined together, you owe the creditor. And the one that owned 50, maybe two months of pay. And with that, he says, okay, this creditor forgave both of them. Now, that may not seem like that big of a deal. We go to a bank, we get a loan, we get a mortgage, no big deal. Remember, culturally, small town, rural, who is the creditor? It's usually someone of wealth and importance in that town. And everybody would have known who the rich person in that town was of substance and status, who he lent the money to, which family, and how much. And there would have been a description of saying, okay, I'm going to lend you this, you're going to pay it back when? And if you can't, you're going to jail called debtor's prison. And guess what, Eastern Hills? 
You didn't just go to prison and you had food and clothing and you could make license plate and pay back the debt. No, it didn't work that way back then. You better have family or friends who love you, who you have a good relationship with because they're the ones who are bringing you your food, your water. They're the ones that have to pay off your debt that you owed. And if you don't have good friends and family, guess what? You're going to rot in prison. You're going to die there. It was a debtor's prison. And he's saying right here, Jesus is saying, look, a creditor forgives them both this debt. So Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. Again, that whole sin problem. This is kind of like a a whole rhetorical question, I think, that Jesus is giving the Pharisee. Because the Pharisee says, well, duh, Jesus, the one who um, was forgiven more. So Jesus answered, you have judged correctly. Remember in the beginning, Jesus was snubbed by this Pharisee. He offered no form of greeting. He just snubbed. He just said, I'm better than you. I don't really like you. I'm just curious about you. And Jesus kind of rhetorically says, you judge correctly. He told him, and I love this part, that those who understand their forgiveness are far more thankful, obedient, and forgiving. Because in verse 43, I love what Jesus does. That whole gentleness concept comes out. As Jesus, as the woman has wiped his feet, with those, that oil. And as he asks this question, staring straight at Simon, and Simon answers, he goes, you judge correctly, Simon. He then does something so unique. He said, to, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, meaning, and as he's sitting on his arm, as he's eating food, he asks this question. He then turns his back on Simon and he doesn't speak to him anymore. His sole focus and attention is on the woman. And he has a lesson to teach us. And I've got to think that Jesus in his gentleness and his, uh, who he is, spoke with a tender and a tone of, you are valuable, you are important. And he says to her, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her, her many sins, he acknowledges. He looks right at her and says, Simon, you came at me. You didn't wash my feet like you're supposed to. You didn't greet me with hospitality. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She has done all of that. And her sins, Simon, yeah, they're many. And he's looking around. And I got to be thinking, he's not looking at all the audience and the Pharisees. He's looking at her. And he's speaking powerfully. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus that you read all through the New Testament, that in a culture like this, back in Jesus' time in 32 AD, women weren't treated with great respect and dignity. And Jesus at every point engages women and empowers them and enables them. In fact, a sidebar here, Jesus, when he resurrects from the dead, do you know who the first witnesses are? It's the women. It's not the men. It's the women he entrusts with the message. And right here, I gotta be thinking, Jesus looks at her and says, Simon, you did all this. And as he's staring her in the eye saying, in a sense, you are valuable. And yeah, you are a sinner. I know that. And that doesn't bother me. You are loved. And he says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins, he acknowledges it, have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. She couldn't deal with the fact that he was snubbed. Couldn't deal with the fact that here's a Jesus who speaks to me so differently, who talks so differently, who acts so differently than anything I've ever seen But the one, he says, Jesus said, who has given little, loves little. Then he turned and said to her, your sins are forgiven. Freedom. 
Your sins are forgiven. Those who are at the table, it's like he says this. They all are like, oh, he just dropped the mic on this Pharisee. And all the murmuring starts to, whoa, 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 whoa. What did he just say? And it says, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The only path to forgiveness is a path to the cross. What did Jesus say to the woman? What saved her? It was her faith. It wasn't anything she did. She approached God with grace and humility. And Jesus said, it is your faith that has saved you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. It is that simple. And when you want to say, no, we got to have our life together. We have to be super obedient. So, no, God says, will you come as you are? Will you acknowledge who I am and yield your life? 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west and eastern hills, the east doesn't touch the west. It just keeps going. And that's the question I want to leave you with today is that whole part of forgiveness is that Jesus redeems. Do you truly trust him? Do you truly love him? Because many of us can associate maybe with that sinner in the story, but if we've walked with Jesus for any length of time, many times we're that Pharisee who think we got it all figured out, who we know it all. We forget sometimes of what it costs Jesus. It costs him everything to give us hope to give us salvation. And he says, come as you are. That we are to be his hands and his feet. Do we see our own need for salvation and realize how much we need our Savior's presence and his enablement? And so we see Jesus say, look, it wasn't the guy who had it all together. It wasn't the Pharisee, the religious ruler, whose sins are forgiven in the story. It's the woman who was known as a sinner, who was known as no good, whose sins were forgiven. So my question to you as you end today, Eastern Hills, is where are you at with Jesus? For those of you that have walked with God for a long period of time, do you remember that forgiveness that you've been given? Forgiveness from what you have done, from what you have said, from what you were? Some of us, like me, maybe you've walked with Jesus since you were five or six years old, and we can sometimes lose sight of, we've been forgiven, and we've been entrusted with the gospel, which means as a Christian, what I say, what I do, should reflect who Christ is. That's what Christian means, is I'm a little Christ. And many times, we don't look like that. And yet we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so this week, would you remember what Christ has forgiven you from? Would you remember the forgiveness that has been given to you so that you can be thankful, that you can be obedient, that you can be forgiving of others also? Where are you at? Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we are so grateful to be gathered here. Our Heavenly Father, for those of us who are far from you, would you soften our hearts and our minds to know you? Would we give our lives to you? For those watching, Lord, who, who call Eastern Hills their home, who have walked with you maybe for many years, would you renew their understanding of the forgiveness that you have given to them so they can forgive others in turn? Would you give us eyes to see the people that you've placed around us to share the hope that we have with them? For those, Lord, who are watching who are far from you, have no idea who you are, who may be curious about church or faith or who are just tuning in online, would you inspire and encourage them to give their lives to you? You say clearly that if we confess with our mouths that you are Lord and believe in our hearts, you raise Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And so would we do that this day? We go about from here being refreshed and renewed and may our attitudes and our thoughts 
that we learn today to be forgiving, to recognize that forgiveness that we have been given. May we take that through Monday through Saturday. We're so grateful for your son, Jesus. The fact that he came, that he died for our sins, and he rose again, he didn't stay dead, and he gave us the charge and us the gifts and abilities to be his ambassadors here and now. You've given us everything we need, Lord. May we trust you. May we engage with you. May we build and, cl- and build our relationship with you this week in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care.